Everybody say Nehemiah. We're starting a new series this month on the story of Nehemiah. And I love this story because it's a story about an ordinary man who does an extraordinary thing with the power of God and a big group of people are all part of it together. They're part of this reconstruction team, this rebuilding team, and and they've got a fixer-upper. They've got to work on a nation that's been destroyed. It's left in ruins. And what I love about the story of Nehemiah is there's no, like, huge, spectacular miracle. There's no person that's raised from the dead or blind eyes open. But there's a miracle of God's people coming together with one focus and one dream together Uh, And they carry this dream to fruition, and they do it in record time. Nobody thought it could be done, and not only do they do it, but they do it faster than anyone imagined it could be possible. And I believe God's calling the church to unite together for a divine purpose to bring revival and to see things happen sooner than later in our nation, in our generation, for God's glory. So this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. Yes. Nehemiah chapter 1, I want to title this message, The Beauty of a Divine Burden. The Beauty of a Divine Burden. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah said, I was sitting in the place where I was at. I was there and I was serving in this nation. Nehemiah was a Hebrew man in exile. He was a cupbearer to the king um, in this empire and all the Israelites had been scattered And he says, one of my brothers, Hannah and I, came to me from Judah with some other men, and I asked them, what is happening with the Jewish remnant? How are my brothers and sisters doing? How are our families doing? So Nehemiah was alone here. He didn't have a whole lot of his Jewish brothers and sisters. And he says, how's how's everyone doing? Now, this was long after King David. So this was several other kings had led Israel into this time of exile. They had lost the kingdom. They had disobeyed God. They had sinned. And they lost the power they once had. By the way, one of the things I find interesting, why was Israel in this place? Is because they forsook what God had commanded them to follow. Everything we have right now that's a blessing in our life is about stewardship. If we don't steward it well, we will lose it. And Israel was blessed with a great kingdom, and yet they lost what they had been blessed with. They had lost their power. They had lost their glory. They had lost their boundaries. They had lost uh, the, the nation. It was now scattered all, and they were all scattered in different nations. But here's the good news. If you lost something, you can get it back. And no matter how far you feel lost, God can restore whatever the enemy has stolen from you. But Nehemiah says, tell me how our nation is doing. They said, those who have survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. In other words, there's people who haven't survived. We've lost people. People have died. People have become hopeless. People have become discouraged. People have become suicidal. People have lost their sense of purpose and destiny, and they're disgraced. They're in trouble. Our nation is broken down. The walls of Jerusalem have been broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. In other words, it was a bad report. But you know, faith can face the facts. Faith is not afraid of the facts. Faith is able to look at what the doctor says. Tell me the institutional reality. Tell me how my health is. Tell me what's going on. Faith can listen to what the counselor has to say. Faith can listen to even what the news might say. 
Faith doesn't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to the reality of what's going on. Faith hears it, faith looks at it, and faith says, but I have a different report in heaven. I've got a great physician. I've got letters from a king that tell me God can do something even in this trouble. This is where Nehemiah is at. He is listening to this. And in verse 4, before he has faith, he has heartbreak. And he, he says, I heard these things, and I sat down, and I wept. And don't be discouraged if you don't have great faith right now, and you're facing something that seems very overwhelming, because Nehemiah was there. He wasn't full of great faith yet. He was full of a lot of tears, full of a lot of sadness. And he says, I began to mourn and weep, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, God, about the divine burden you want us to walk with, Lord. I pray that we would leave different than the way we came in with greater courage and a greater resolve, God, to be a part of what you're doing in this hour through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. The room you're sitting in was a burden in my dad's heart for 27 years. In 1981, victory started in a car parking lot, Tink's Auto Mart, and we moved from there to a tent that we would set up chairs and set up the tent every Sunday and have service. Then we moved into the Maybe Center, and we rented the Maybe Center for 20-plus years. Victory was a mobile church for 27 years. Victory was renting spaces and using other people's property. But all during that time, my dad carried a burden in his heart that one day Victory would have a permanent sanctuary, a permanent home, a place that we wouldn't have to set up and tear down, a place where people could gather and lives would be changed. People would get baptized and saved and healed and restored there is such thing as a divine burden. It is a burden that God puts on your heart and you carry it into fulfillment. Now, some people in the church go, I thought we're supposed to get rid of burdens. I thought we're supposed to cast our burdens on the Lord. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. In other words, there are burdens God won't take away from you. There are burdens God wants you to carry. As a mom, he wants you to carry a burden for your children. As a dad, he wants you to carry a burden for your children. As a spouse, he wants you to carry a burden to build your marriage strong. As a pastor, he's given me a burden for the people of victory. And for my dad, he had a burden for the vision we sit in today. For Nehemiah, he didn't realize it yet, but he was about to get blessed with a burden. And I think about how so many people are living without a divine burden in life right now. Just existing, but not really alive. Physically there, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually checked out. Just like, I'm exhausted by life. It's 106 degrees in Tulsa. Just trying to survive the exile. I'm just here, man. And when we hear bad news, we're like, sucks for those people. Glad it's not me, you know? And God's going... I want you to wake up. I want you to get a burden. I want you to get a divine assignment on your life. I want something to break your heart. When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you felt something in your heart that woke you up from just watching TV every day? When's the last time you got excited for something besides a series on Netflix? When's the last time you were passionate about something? I don't know, is Israel in the room, our worship team member? Where's Israel? There you are, Israel. Rachel, come up here real quick. See, so many people oftentimes are doing a job, and we're doing a job, and we might be doing a pretty good job, but we're not doing it with passion. We're not doing it with purpose. 
Israel, you work here at the church. What's your role? Um, Victor College, worship leader. Come on, worship leader and instructor. You teach the students. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people who will show up at a job and go, yeah, I'm just here to get a paycheck. I'm just going to do the best I can, you know, whatever. Just, just here, just trying to make it, just trying not to get fired. And there's no passion. There's no burden. Everybody say divine burden. Israel, I want you to just sing, and I'm going to get to you, Rachel, in a second. Israel, I want you to just sing a line of, um, sing a line of, of, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just one line. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Okay, that's good. That sounds pretty good, right? But Israel, I want you to sing, I want you to sing beyond that line, but I want you to sing it where you really feel it in your heart. Like you've personally had to trust in Jesus. Have you ever had a moment where you were like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And you weren't sure if God was going to show up. And you weren't sure if you were going to make it. And you and your wife, you weren't sure how, how things were going to turn out. I want you to sing from a deep place in your heart. I want you to close your eyes. Forget about who's in the room. You and God, right now, I want you to sing from a burden. Oh, Cristo me ama. Si, Cristo me ama. Oh, Cristo me ama, la Biblia dice así. Come on. It's a different feeling. Rachel. All right. We heard you sing earlier. We know you can sing. See, there's, there's a moment where you sing, and there's a moment where you sing. You know what I'm talking about? So do, do just a little line where you're just kind of singing. You're just singing. You're like, you're just doing your job. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah, okay, you see what I'm saying? You're like, yes, like we can all do that, Paul, you know? <laughs> even, even the non-Von Trapp family members over here going to Brahms. <laughs> now, Rachel, I want you to sing, I want you to sing from that place where you've experienced tears because of something you've walked through and you weren't sure how God was gonna show up. And he blessed you with just a divine burden in that moment. Somehow, some way, you had to lean into the present. I want you to sing from that place. You take the mic. Yeah, you got it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word And just to rest upon his promise and to know the saith the Lord, oh Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace. To trust in more. So powerful. See, you can sing and then you can sing. You can work and then you can really work. You can do your job and then you can really do your job. Nehemiah was existing, but he was about to come alive. What if God was using a problem in your life to wake the heck up? What if God was using a crisis in your life to save you from just surviving the exile? 
What if God was trying to download a divine burden that you would carry? I've sat with my grand-grand, who's 99 and a half years young, sitting on the front row over here, and I've asked her, what are the secrets to staying alive and still being just able to do all that she does. I mean, Grand Grand, it's a phenomenon. She lives by herself. She works 40 hours a week, serves in the church, still walks around the track. I mean, this woman is really living at 99 and a half. She's not just surviving the exile. She's alive. But one of the things Grand Grand has said is you got a reason. You got to have a reason to wake up. You got to have a reason. You got to have a reason to stay alive. Many people die because they stop having a reason to get out of bed. They stop having a burden. And here Nehemiah is, and he hears this crisis. The story of Nehemiah asks us all really this question, what do you do when you know there's a problem? Do you run from it? Do you hide from it? Do you ignore it? Do you say that's somebody else's issue? Or do you say, maybe God placed me in Tulsa, Oklahoma for such a time as this in 2023 to be a part of the solution that he's trying to bring to this area that I'm seeing. Here Nehemiah was, and he begins to weep. And I want to look at eight ways that God gives us a divine burden. I know eight sounds like a lot. You're like, eight ways? I, I promise you, it's, we're going to get through it quickly here. If you're taking notes, note takers are history makers, world changers. A burden from God usually starts with, number one, tears. Tears. Allowing something to break your heart is where a burden begins. Maybe something that frustrates you, something that makes you kind of angry. Like you watch the movie Sound of Freedom and you're like, what? Kids are getting trafficked? Millions of kids? Not just in Honduras and Guatemala and Panama, but in Oklahoma, in Hollywood. And you can hear about a problem and go, whew, hope somebody does something about that. Or you can let it break your heart. And you just start weeping. You start weeping. Scripture makes it clear there's two things that God collects. Prayers and tears. The world in its current form is passing away, but our prayers and our tears are eternal. God saves every tear you cry. What makes you cry? Who makes you cry? I remember when my dad passed away, I was weeping over the loss of my dad. And then I began to weep over our church. I begin to see my mom just weep tears over Victory, over Victory College, Victor Christian School, the Dream Center, Camp Victory. And those tears were contagious. I started crying. Then my mom would call me and John and we would all start crying. We would just have a family cry fest. We were just crying and we were internalizing the pain and the questions of, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to move forward? What is it that you're stirring in our hearts to stand for, to contend for, to fight for? Some of you lost your fight, and this series is going to help you get your fight back. Some of you lost your tears, and this series is going to help you get your tears back. By the way, tears are a blessing because tears will help you to connect with the heart of God. Revival starts with tears. Revival starts with allowing your heart to break over a generation. I read a book this summer called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And in this book, it was an interesting book, this man who started a, a prayer movement. He was in the East Coast, and he said, I was watching so many people my age walk away from God, walk away from the church, deconstruct their theology, no longer believing in Jesus. And he said, I'm not just talking like tens, I'm talking hundreds, thousands. 
And he said, at first it began to bother me, frustrate me. And then he said, I started weeping over my generation. And I started noticing, he said, I started noticing very few young people were signing up to pastor anymore. That clergy was going down. Less people wanted to study to be a pastor, study to serve in a church. It just was decreasing. And he said, I started noticing, especially in Portland and Seattle and parts of the West Coast, that there was very few churches that young people even went to anymore. And he said, I allowed it to break my heart to the point where the tears made me start thinking about what am I going to do about it. Number two, contemplation. A burden from God usually starts with tears and then leads to contemplation. Nehemiah wept and then he sat down. Contemplation is a spiritual practice of ruminating, reflecting, processing, a spiritual quiet meditation with God. It's a wordless interaction between you and God. It's this quieting of your mind. It's turning your phone off. It's forgetting about social media for a little bit. It's forgetting about everything else going on in the world. And it's just this quiet time with you and God. It's solitude. Henry Nguyen said that solitude is the furnace for transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society. And we continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance for the new self. Contemplation gets us thinking about what does God see in this crisis right now? What does God see for America? What does God see for the school system right now? What does God see for North Tulsa, for East Tulsa, West Tulsa? What does God see for the University of ORU? What does God see for Victory College? What does God see for Jinx High School? What does God see for Union? What does God see for my children? What does God see for my marriage? What does God see? Solitude quiets us down enough to stop searching Instagram to find answers and just listen to God for a little bit. And it asks us this question, what is your wall? Nehemiah was starting to to think about the wall of Jerusalem. It's one thing to notice that there's a problem. It's another thing to start thinking about the answer. Nehemiah was ruminating, processing, meditating, contemplating. Could this wall be rebuilt? It's like he was playing Tetris in his mind. He was imagining how the bricks would come together. Who would lay which brick? Which family would be a part of it? By the way, next week, I was talking with my boys, Liam, Benny, and Mac. And they said, Daddy, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, Nehemiah. They go, oh, that's the story about the guy who built the wall. I said, yeah. And um, they said, can we build it on stage for you? I was like, I don't, I don't know if we're going to do that. And Mac was like, yeah, I want to screw some stuff. With like a screwdriver. I was like, okay, Mac, he's five years old. Liam goes, yeah, I want to hammer some nails. And Benny was like, I want to wear a tool belt and I want to have a saw. And I was like, I don't trust this kid with a saw. (laughs) But they said, Daddy, did Nehemiah build with his family? Contemplating allows us to think about who are we building with? What are we building? So I think next week I'm going to have my boys up here building with me. And I'm going to talk about building multi-generationally. That God's calling families to rebuild walls. God's calling children and parents to work together. What is your wall? What burdens you? What keeps you up at night? There was a true story about a woman named Erin Gruwall. And they made a movie about her life. The movie was called Freedom Riders. When I was at ORU, our professor in theology, he gave us a homework assignment. He said, I want you to watch this movie, then I want you to write a paper about it. 
So I'm watching it and then doing some research and finding out this whole thing is true. This young girl graduates from a very prestigious university to become an educational, you know, she's going to be a teacher. And she ends up deciding to say no to all of these offers that she gets to teach at some very good schools that would pay her good money. And she decides instead to teach in an inner city school um, where there's a lot of boys and girls that are very troublesome. And, and she gets into moments where they threaten to kill her, moments where she's uh, afraid that she's going to lose her life. But she works 80 hours a week. And in the movie, you just see her like pouring it out. She's weeping over these children, these teenagers. And her dad is very frustrated. Her dad is concerned. He's like, honey, you got to stop. you got to get out of there. You're going to die. And I can't handle this as your dad. I'm too concerned. You can't teach there anymore. And then there's this moment where she says, dad, I love you, but I can't walk away from these kids. She said, you don't understand. I think about them every day. I, I weep over them. I stay after school and I work extra hours and I tutor and I mentor because nobody's mentoring these kids. And she said, you don't understand. She starts talking about one of the boys. She said, his daddy went to prison. His mommy went to prison. His older brother went to prison. He's got nobody in his life. She said, I'm the only hope for some of these kids. She starts talking about this girl. She's 14, just got pregnant, thinking about an abortion. And she says, dad, no one's helping this girl. And she's weeping. And her dad says something. I'll never forget it. Her dad says, honey, you've been blessed with a burden. And he said, I don't want you to walk away. You are called to those kids. You are called to that school. That's your burden. How many people are living without a burden? And you go, I don't need any more burdens, Paul. I'm just trying to survive. I'm not talking about another burden to keep you worried. I'm talking about a bigger burden that makes a whole lot more sense to think about than all the petty little burdens you keep on complaining about. See, we need a divine distraction. Moses was working for his father-in-law, taking care of sheep, probably had some petty burdens on his mind. And all of a sudden, this bush starts burning. And Moses says, I got to go over there and check it out. And sure enough, this burning bush won't burn up. It's God speaking. He says, take off your shoes. It's holy ground. And then God says, Moses, I've got a burden for you. The burden is on me, but I need you to carry it. See, I think God wants his church to start carrying some of the burdens he's carrying. He says, Moses, the people of Israel are in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and I need you to deliver my people. In other words, I need you to carry this burden. Little did Moses know this burden was going to save his life. This burden was going to add years to his life. When Moses died at 120, he still had hope left in his eyes. His eyes were still bright. See, a burden wakes you up. A burden keeps you alive longer. A burden lets you keep on living until you're 99. A burden makes you joyful. A burden makes you cry. A burden from God will give you a reason to live. And here's what believers do when they have a burden from God. They see beyond what everyone else sees. Nehemiah lived hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. He not only saw the problem, he saw the solution. He was contemplating. He saw not just beyond, he saw more. He saw that God had provision to take care of it, protection. He saw that God would supply. Where God guides, God provides. Where God directs, God protects. He not only saw beyond and saw more, he saw ahead. He knew that there would be battles to face. He knew that there would be people who would try to distract them from working on the wall. 
So he was thinking through strategies of how they would work during the day and fight at night. Nehemiah was contemplating. He was getting the vision inside. Number three, he began to fast. Fasting. How does God give you a burden? Tears, contemplation, fasting. Now, this is not an exciting one. Notice that there was no amens when I said fasting. People were like, move along, keep it moving. What's the next point? Fasting allows something or someone or some group of people to interrupt your appetite. I was sitting in the theater watching The Sound of Freedom, and I had a box of popcorn. And as soon as the movie started, I could not eat another kernel of the popcorn because my stu- I couldn't stomach it. I was going, no way. I remember when I saw the movie The Passion of Christ with my family. We were in the movie theater. We bought candy and popcorn. What were we thinking? We were sitting, sitting there, me and John. We got like milk duds and Sour Patch Kids, some popcorn, some Dr. Pepper, Mr. Pibb, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is dying on the cross. We're like, we can't eat any of our food. But I'm talking about something you allow to interrupt your appetite. I'm talking about something where you go, I need to take a day, a week. I need to fast. Maybe it's not food, fast technology, fast social media. I need to, I need to let God stir something in me right now. Some of you are going back to school. Some of you are praying about going back to school. By the way, Victory College out in the lobby. Scholarships are coming this next week. This is a time where God's stirring your heart to get ready to build. There was a competition between a young wood chopper and an older wood chopper. And the young man said, I challenge you to see who could chop down the most trees in 10 hours. And so the older man said, okay, you're on. So they started early in the morning. The young man starts chopping down trees. Now, I'm a tree guy. I love trees, so this hurts my heart. But they begin, the young man starts chopping down trees one after another really fast. He's working hard. He's sweating. He looks back. The old man's just sitting down. He's like, this guy's going to lose. What is he doing? Young man keeps chopping, keeps chopping. And after about five hours, he's like, there's no way this old man could catch up. I'm just going to take a break because even if he starts right now, he won't even get close to how many I've chopped down. Well, at the end of the day, they counted who chopped down the most trees. The old man won. The young guy said, how did you, how did you cut down more trees than me? I saw you sitting down every hour, sitting down over there. He said, yeah, I would take a break. Every time I would chop down a tree, I would sit down and I would take a break. But he said, what you didn't know is I was sharpening my axe because a sharper axe can cut down a whole lot more trees than a dull axe. He said, never once did you sharpen your axe. Here's the problem with so many people right now is we're living way too busy lives to just stop fast and pray and hear from heaven. We can chop down a whole lot. We can do a whole lot more when the axe is sharpened. Number four, prayer. How does God give you a burden from heaven? Prayer. The church's underground atheism in our time is that we will busy ourselves with almost everything except prayer. By the way, the aim of our prayer is not to get God in on what we think he should be doing. The aim of our prayer is to get us in on what God is already doing, to become aware of what God is doing, to join in to what God is doing, and enjoy the fruit of participation in what God is doing. Prayer internalizes the burden from heaven. Prayer deepens our ownership. Prayer insists that we quiet our hearts and wait on God. Prayer initiates the vision's fulfillment. Prayer is a catalyst for us to know what God's asking us to do. Prayer is our secret weapon against discouragement, against fear, against shame. When I begin to pray, God begins to work on the inside of me. 
Prayer begins to get me in alignment with heaven. Number five is repentance. Now, I want you to see what happens here when Nehemiah begins to pray. The first part of his prayer, he says, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So here he is. He's worshiping God. He says, the God who keeps his covenant of love, let your ear hear your servant. And then he says, I confess my sins, the sins of our nation, including myself, the sins of my father's family, the sins we've committed against you. In this repentance, Nehemiah is gaining an ear with God. God loves to hear his people come in sincerity, but he also loves it when we own that we have strayed from him. That when we come close to God, here's here's what God promises in his covenant. That if you forsake my commandments, you will reap the consequences of your decisions. But if you repent and return, I will heal your land. I will restore what the enemy has stolen. I will regather you. I will rebuild you. The promise that God has for us after repentance. This is why repentance brings times of refreshing. Like Ron McIntosh preached last week. That there is a beauty in repentance. I want the band to come out. So here Nehemiah is. He's praying. He's repenting. When we pray, when we repent... God begins to give us a burden from heaven. Number six, the remembrance of God's covenant of love. After Nehemiah repents, he reminds himself, God, you have a covenant with us. The most important discovery that you and I as believers will ever make is the love that the Father has for us. Our power as believers comes from knowing we are loved by God. He is not against us. He is not scowling at us. He's not angry at us. He loves us. Yes, Jesus loves me. And when I remember that and I return to his covenant, he's able to work through me. Number seven, surrender. Once Nehemiah prays this prayer, he says, God, you've seen how bad it is in Israel. You know how much the walls have been broken down. You've seen the devastation of your people. I'm asking you to move, but I'm also offering myself as a volunteer. I'm saying, God, our church needs your help, but I want to be a part of the solution. God's looking for people who won't just talk to the pastor about problems, but say, sign me up. I'm ready to be a solution. Paul, we we need more volunteers in the nursery, and I'm willing to be a volunteer. Paul, we really need someone to mentor these teenagers in the basketball league at the Dream Center. And I'm signing up as the first volunteer to mentor these teenagers. Paul, it breaks my heart to see what's going on in the school system over here at these other schools. And I want to be the first one from victory that's going to show up in those schools every Wednesday at lunchtime. And I'm going to spend time and I'm going to mentor. I'm going to pour in because I'm ready to be alive. I'm ready to start living. Don't just talk about problems. Bring yourself into surrender to say, God, you can use me. Nehemiah was saying, Lord, you can use me. You can send me. So in chapter 2, he says, I took the wine to the king as I normally do as the cupbearer. Only this time I came in with a heavy heart. And I told the king, even though I was very afraid in verse 2, he says, I was very afraid, yet I moved forward. By the way, number 8, this is the last point right here. God gives you a burden with courage. God gives you courage to carry the burden that he's placed on your heart. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward even though you feel afraid. Courage is feeling the insecurity, the inadequacy. I'm not good enough. I'm too weak. I'm too young. 
but I'm still going to sign up and I'm still going to move forward. I remember when God began stirring in my heart some dreams for our church during COVID. And I was like, God, no one is doing this right now. And God was like, then you're going to be the first one to do it. And I was like, God, I, I feel unqualified. God was like, I didn't ask if you felt qualified. I just asked you to do it. Courage is knowing you may not have all that it takes in your mind, but you're going to let God use you anyways. You're going to let God help you. So he goes before the king. He says, king, there's a problem. Israel's in trouble and they need help. And I want to be a part of it. I've got to help my nation. These are the people that, that I've grown up with. And then the king said, what can I do for you? He said, you can send me. Somebody say, send me. So he says, but when you send me, I need you to send me with protection and provision. Everybody say protection and provision. So he tells the king, he says, here's the deal. If I'm going, I need your help. Now, how did Nehemiah have the courage to ask the king for that kind of help? When you have a relationship with the king, you're willing to ask for anything. When you have a good relationship with the king, you're willing to ask when you know that the king likes you, when you found favor with the king, when you know the king's not angry at you, you're willing to ask the king. If you got a good relationship with your parents and you're a teenager, you could say, hey, dad, can I borrow the credit card? Okay, maybe you may not ask that, but dad, could I borrow the car? I remember when I was like 17, I had really worked hard to like earn my dad's favor. I was like, daddy, could I borrow your car? I'm taking Ashley out on a date. See, when you've got a good relationship with the king, you're willing to ask for things. God says, ask me for the nations. God says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. When did we stop asking as a church to see God do the impossible in us and through us? So Nehemiah says, king, I need letters from you that I can carry with me everywhere I go that promise protection before me, behind me, and beside me. I need letters from you that everyone I ask for help from, they have to get involved, they have to help me. I need timber, I need lumber, I need bricks, I need mortar, I need all kinds of help. And if the king says, if the king says, if the king gives me the letters, if the king gives me the letters, then I walk into places with greater authority. If I've got letters from the king, he says, I need, somebody say, I need the letters. The letters were scrolls written by the king. Can I tell you, we got some scrolls written by the king that he's given us. We got a letter like Philippians chapter 4 that says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. We got a letter called Ephesians chapter 3 that says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, hope, dream, or imagine. He is more than able. We got letters like Colossians, and we got letters like Thessalonians. We got letters like the book of Acts. We have letters that promise provision. Where God guides, he provides. Where God directs, he protects. And I believe God is stirring some of you up with a divine burden, and you're not sure how it's going to come to pass. You know, I got a burden in my heart. I have a burden for our, our, our church, for our dream center, our school, our college, our camp. Somebody asked me, they said, what do you want to leave behind one day when you leave this world behind? And it got me thinking. I started writing down all these dreams. Like, what if? What if we could do this and do that? And then those dreams started becoming stronger in my heart. 
Even in the last week, I was sitting down with Pastor Tim Newton, and we were dreaming about the future of the Dream Center. What could we accomplish over the next 10 years, 20 years? What if we could do it in two years? What if God supplied all that we needed for the vision? I think God wants his church, he wants you to stop playing it safe and to start getting risky faith, audacious faith, faith that starts saying, God, use me to be a solution in my generation. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. Nehemiah would go on to change the nation of Israel. We're going to take the next couple weeks to talk through. One of the things he's going to face is major, major distractions. And I've already just been praying over this message because how many of y'all faced some distractions in the last year in your life where you're like, just things trying to pull you off from what God's calling you to focus on? And sometimes they're petty, but sometimes they're big. Sometimes you're like, it's not just a little, it's like a big thing. And it's weighing on me and it's worrying me and it's stressing me out. God wants us to be focused on his purpose, his plan, his assignment, his divine burden for our lives. He wants to set us free from being distracted by anything that's not he, what he's calling us to focus on. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. I wanna pray for anyone in the room that's grown weary in the burden that God's placed on you. Maybe it's, it's just gotten hard. Maybe you've gotten discouraged. Maybe in some ways you've, you've lost that sense of passion. You've been singing, but you haven't been singing like you know you can sing. You've been living, you've been working, you've been doing the mom thing, the dad thing, you've been doing the single thing, you've been doing like school, but you know there is a level of living that, that you remember. There's a level, there's a glimmer of passion and hope. You were meant to live for so much more. Somewhere you live inside. Somewhere deep down in your heart, you're still there, but it's like God saying, it's time to bring back the passion. It's time to bring back the joy. It's time to get recapture your purpose for life. Recapture your why. Know why you're here. Come back alive to what God's calling you to do. Come back to that divine burden. Some of you in the room, you're here right now with heads, heads bowed and eyes closed, and you go, Paul, I don't know what my divine burden is. I don't know what my why is. I, I want to live with purpose and passion. I don't want to just survive. I don't want to just walk through life without knowing why I'm here, but I need God to show me what that is. I need him to show me what is my calling in this season. What is it that makes me cry? What is it that wakes me up? Who are the people I'm supposed to help? What is the spot in the church that I'm supposed to be a part of? Where am I called to, to be right now? Maybe you're searching for direction. You just need direction from God. He wants to give it to you. He doesn't want to hold that back and make you feel frustrated your whole life. He wants to show you direction. He wants to show you your assignment. All over this room, I want to pray for people that you're in one or two of those places. You're, you know what your assignment is, but it's been hard lately. Secondly, you don't know what your assignment is, and you're searching for direction from God. You're ready and open and willing. If God could give it to you today, you're saying, yes, I want to receive that divine burden from heaven. I want you to raise your hand up. If either of those describe where you're at right now, I want to pray for anyone who's in the middle of just trying to do your best, but the enemy has been making you feel tired, weary, discouraged, distracted in some ways, complacent, and you're ready to regain your passion for the purpose that God has in you. 
Lastly, you're here today and you say, I just need to surrender and give my heart to Jesus. I need to repent and get right with God. This is your day for salvation. Raise your hand if that's you. Today's your day to repent and give your heart to Jesus. Just give it all to God. If you raise your hands for any of those, would you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar right now. We're going to cheer on brave men, brave women, sons and daughters, college students, moms and dads, singles, whatever season of life you're in. This is your day to get your assignment, to get your vision, to get your hope back, to find forgiveness, to find mercy and grace. And we're gonna wait till every person who who raised your hand or you thought about raising your hand, we're gonna wait till you come down here because I believe God wants to meet you down at this altar today. You know, I mentioned Victory College. I was talking with Jason who works in our college and he was mentioning how there's so many people that they wanna be used by God, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know how to start. And they're in a season of, of really a time. They don't know it yet, but God's wanting to prepare them for ministry. This is a time, if that's you, sign up for Victory College. Get plugged in. It's kick it off in 10 days. For some of you, God may be calling you into a certain season where he's asking you to serve in an area or go back to school or get involved or join our discipleship classes and begin getting discipled or maybe to volunteer in the discipleship class and begin helping disciple other men and women. I don't know what it is, but I know God's going to speak to you. I know God's going to show you. Paul said in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it with all your heart. Do it with passion and excellence. God might have you selling cars right now. He might have you selling life insurance, selling houses, selling coffee. God might have you as a dentist, a doctor, a teacher, a coach, a student in school. But wherever he has you, He has not called you to live complacent. He has not called you to check out on life. He wants you to wake up with purpose at your job. He wants you to live with passion in your current season of life. He wants you feeling alive. He wants you feeling engaged in what he's doing. He wants to connect you to an assignment in the church right now. So Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, just as you're here at this altar, receive this from God. You can just raise your hands. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name for divine downloads from heaven. I pray, God, you would begin to connect the dots in their head. As they're contemplating, as they're praying, as they're maybe even fasting, as they're seeking you, I pray, God, that you would begin to show them a divine strategy, a divine burden. Some of them are called to drive a bus for the Dream Center, for the youth, picking kids up from schools and bringing them to church. Some of them are called to start a connect group in their house. Some of them are called to mentor college students this year. Some of them are called to get involved serving in children's church, the nursery. Some of them are called to be coaches, leaders, mentors. God, some of them, you've called them into the business marketplace, Lord, to be a light, to shine bright. Lord, some of them, you've called them to multiply their business, to start new things, God, as entrepreneurs. You've called them. Some of them, they're in a season as mom, dad, and and, and it's tough and it's overwhelming and they've gotten discouraged. And Lord, I pray that you would send other parents to come and lift their arms up. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that they would be reminded, God, that you are with them. You are for them. And Lord, this is a time for families to build together. God, that we would carry that divine burden for our children, for each other. God, for the community in this house. There's some that are called to rescue people that are in mental health disorders and issues and suicidal cases and you've called them to go in and counsel and speak life and rescue people God that are in the clutches of despair and discouragement Lord I pray in Jesus name that you would stir in us a divine burden from you
God, have your way in us this morning. Let's sing that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Trust you, how I prove you or endure. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you.
I was talking with a man in our church this past week on social media. He said, you know, Paul, I was once in prison and it was Victory's prison ministry that reached my life. He said, you sent people into the jails and the prisons across Oklahoma from your church. And he said, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have given my heart to Jesus. He said, now I'm helping go back and minister to people that are there trapped and feel like they can't find freedom. Sometimes the burden God uses you is the thing he pulled you out of. He sends you back and he sends you with a passion and a purpose because the rehab helped you and now you're a part of that. You're helping bring people out of those addictions. You're helping bring people out of that. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would show any person, Lord, that's asking, God, what is it that you're asking me to do? And any person that feels discouraged, I just pray encouragement in Jesus' name, life in Jesus' name, joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength in Jesus' name. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I surrender. I'm all yours. Use my life for your glory. I repent of my sins. I need you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave. You are my Lord and Savior. And I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen.